1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John is a sort of P.S. to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we're told, was written so that we might know that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing on his name we might have eternal life. There's an evangelistic purpose behind the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was, told us how to, was written to tell us how to be saved. The epistle of First John is written tell us how the saved are to live, and to give us the assurance of that salvation, and to show us now that we have been saved, that we have this eternal life, how we are to express this life and live this life. And uh, it, it is a letter that was written to Christians again and again and again. He addresses himself to my little children, our brothers in Christ. And so it is a book uh, that is expressly written to believers. And uh, I think perhaps it is one of the finest handbooks on Christian living that you can find anywhere. And uh, I believe that there can be no greater study for a new Christian or an older Christian, for that matter, on knowing just how I'm to behave myself as a believer, what it means to be saved, and how to live that saved life than this little epistle of 1 John. And chapter 1 is an extremely tremendous chapter. So let's read the first chapter of 1 John, verses 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, when a person is saved, they enter into a relationship with God. And that is the relationship of a father to a child. And I think it's highly significant that the Bible uses language that you and I can understand to express and describe what it means to be saved. For instance, when it, when it says that 
we've been born again. We, we're familiar with that. We know what it means to be born. We know what birth involves. Again, the Bible describes our salvation as adoption. We know what that means. Again, it describes our salvation as justified, being acquitted, found not guilty. We know what that means. Again, the Bible describes our salvation as redeemed, redemption, and uh, to, be, to be purchased out of slavery. We understand what that means, to redeem something, to pay for something, and make it your own by the payment of a price. And so God is constantly making it easy for you and me to understand what it means to be saved. And one of the Bible's favorite descriptions of salvation is this relationship between the father and the child. Now, but not only at salvation do we enter into a relationship, we also enter into a fellowship. A fellowship. Now, you say, what is the difference between relationship and fellowship? Well, let me put it this way. I have a relationship with my children. Now there's nothing on earth that can affect that relationship. I'm their father. They're stuck with me. They can change their name. They could uh, deny me. I might even disown them. I might change, change my name. And I might run away from home, and I might say I don't know them. But that would not in one little bit alter the relationship. They're my children, and I'm their father. And uh, what's done is done. And as far as that is concerned, that'll always be a fact. Same thing is true with you. Same thing is true with me. I was born of my parents in 1900, and none of your business. And uh, uh, my, my father is my father, and uh, I've many times disobeyed him, and I've, I have... Uh, uh, oftentimes discouraged him by my own rebellion. There have been times I've done those things that were displeasing to him, and perhaps there were those moments when he uh, could wish that I was not, not his son, but uh, nothing can change that relationship. It's fixed. Fellowship something altogether different. You see, the fellowship can be changed. The fellowship can be affected. And let me just say this. My enjoyment of the relationship is determined by the fellowship. There are times when my children haven't enjoyed being my children. You know why? Because the fellowship's been broken. The fellowship has been broken. There were times when I was growing up and living at home that I really enjoyed the relationship that I had with my parents. Everything was great. We just had a great time. You know why? Because the fellowship was good. There was nothing between us. There was no disobedience. Uh, there was nothing there to mar, nothing there to pervert. But there were many times when the relationship that I had with my parents, the fact that I was their son, wasn't very enjoyable. Why? Because something had happened to mar the fellowship. And uh, it's amazing how you can walk into a house and you can almost tell if the fellowship is good. I remember as a child, I could, I could walk into the house and I could in just say in a word to mom or dad, I knew if I was in trouble, you see. And all of a sudden, when I realized our fellowship wasn't getting along too well, I all of a sudden didn't enjoy the relationship too much. And I find that a great many Christians aren't enjoying the relationship they have with God. 
And the reason is because they don't understand the fellowship. And so what I want to talk with you about tonight, and perhaps tomorrow night, is the fellowship, our fellowship. The relationship with God is unchanging. I'm his child. He's my father. That I've been born of God. That which is born cannot be unborn. But my fellowship, my fellowship is something else altogether. And my fellowship is so important because it determines the extent to which I enjoy that relationship. And so I want us to examine our fellowship tonight, the life of fellowship, the life of fellowship. And the Apostle John is telling us that the reason he's writing this letter and the reason that they're preaching the gospel is that we might enter into this fellowship. And he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me tonight, as time allows, say four simple things about this matter of the life of fellowship. Number one, this is a heavenly fellowship, a heavenly fellowship. Look at the third verse. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What a fellowship. What a fellowship. Folks, the believer moves in high company. The believer lives in high country and in high fellowship. My fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what does the word fellowship mean? Well, if you have the New English Bible, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it translates this word, we share a common life. We share a common life. And that's a good translation of the word fellowship. It's the word koinonia, as most of you already know. Sometimes it's translated partner. Sometimes it's translated uh, fellowship. Sometimes it's translated in uh, different ways. But it means, as the New English Bible brings out, we share a common life. Now, this means two things. First of all, it means that I am a partaker of God's life. I am a partaker of God's life. When it says I have fellowship with God, it means that God shares his life with me. That's what fellowship is. We share a common life. We share God's life. And this is the heart of salvation. It's not the fact that uh, of imitation, but it's the fact of impartation. It means that God has imparted his life to me. And when I, as a nine-year-old boy, walked down an aisle in the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas, I trusted Jesus Christ, and as best I knew how at that age, I received him to be my Lord and Savior, and I had no idea of what happened. I suppose God has to sometimes keep these things from us because we just we couldn't stand it. I, I would not have understood it then. But what happened to me was the grandest miracle that you can ever hear about. God himself, by a this miracly, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, imparted his very life to me. And this is what the Bible calls eternal life. Eternal life. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, what is your idea of eternal life? I imagine most of us would say, well, it means living forever. And you'd only be half right. That, that's right. But I, I think I'm discovering, as I study the Bible, that this matter of living forever is something the Lord throws in extra. It's kind of a, 
of a bonus, you know, kind of a friend's benefit. You see, there has to be much more to eternal life than living forever. A great many people don't want to live forever. That's right. And I'll be honest with you. I would not want to live forever under certain conditions. You remember where you first saw the tree of life? In the Garden of Eden. You, know, you remember what happened after Adam sinned? God stationed an angel, lest they should eat of the tree of life. Why? God did want, not want them living forever in that condition. You know the next place you see the tree of life? Over in the Revelation in heaven. Now that's the way you're supposed to live forever. You see, to say salvation means I live forever, that, that, that's not saying enough. Because who, want, who of us would want to live forever like we are with the problems, the burdens, the physical infirmities, the, the emotional and mental infirmities that so many of us have? No, eternal life does not mean living forever. That's included. Uh, eternal can only be ascribed to God. That's an adjective that can only be honestly ascribed to God. So when the Bible says that I have eternal life, what that means is I have God's life. Eternal life is not how long I live, but it's how I live. It doesn't have to do with length of days. It doesn't have to do with the quantity of life. It has to do with the quality of life. It means that I live now a God kind of life. I'm living a life on a new plane, a life on a new dimension. And 2 Peter chapter 1 says that he has given to us exceeding great promises and we have become what? Partakers, there's the word fellowship, same word found here. We have become partakers of the divine nature. That means that God has imparted to me his very life. And the life that I now live, it's really the life of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And his life dwells in me, you see. He is sharing with me his life. I'll tell you something else. That means the Father shares with me all that he has. I think one of the greatest illustrations of this is found in Luke chapter 15. Jack talked a little bit about it last night. The prodigal son. And that's a description of a loving father and a lost son. And when that boy came home, what did the father do? The father began to share with that returning prodigal his life. Kill the fatted calf, put a cloak on his shoulders, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and let's have a party. And everything that I have, I'm going to share with him, you see. That's why I want to make certain that my fellowship with God is always as it ought to be, because as long as I'm walking in fellowship with God, it means that the Lord is able to share with me all that he has. I did a study some time ago in the little epistle of Jude. And there's a phrase in Jude that bothered me uh, somewhat. It bothered me simply because I couldn't adequately understand it. But uh, it's the 20th verse. No, rather, it's the 20, uh, yes, it's the 21st verse. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And, uh, you know, I would look at that and I'd say, now that, that seems strange. Do you mean to tell me there's a possibility of my getting beyond the love of God? You mean that uh, after Paul has said nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, there is a possibility that I might get outside the love of God? Is that what he's saying? I don't believe that's what he's saying at all. 
Does he mean that I can somehow cause God to love me more than he does? No, that's not what he means. And as I studied and prayed, I, I'm convinced tonight this is what he's saying. I am to keep myself in the love of God. It means that I am to keep myself where the love of God can always be showered upon me and always be blessing me. Let me illustrate it like this. As that prodigal was in the far country, was his father still loving him? Do you believe his father still loved him? Sure. But was that love doing anything for the son? No, the son woke up one day and he said, This is ridiculous. I'm a son. And yet, because I have not kept myself in my father's love, his hired servants are getting along better than I am. And I'll tell you something. I drive around the streets of my city, and I see lost people getting along better than God's people because God's people have failed to keep themselves in the love of God. You see, the father still loved that boy, but that boy, by his rebellion, had taken himself out of the sphere of that love where that love could no longer bless him. And when he came back, he kept himself in the love of God, and that love then was able just to, just to bless him. It's like keeping yourself in the sun. The sun is always shining, but sometimes you do not derive its benefits because you draw the shades and draw the curtains or you hide yourself in the shadows. You see, fellowship with God means that I am a partaker of God's life. It means that God wants to share with me all that he is and all that he has. And if I am walking in fellowship, as we'll see later on, as I'm walking in fellowship, then God is able to give me all the benefits of that fellowship. And this is what this conference is all about this week, really. It's just a matter of our putting ourselves in a position where God can share with us all that he wants to share with us. Now, you think about it for a moment. You're a parent. Aren't there times you'd like to share more with your children, but because of their rebellion or disobedience, you're not able to bless them and share with them as you'd like? You don't love them any the less, but because they have, they have withdrawn themselves, in a sense, from your love, you're not able to do what you'd like to do for them. Haven't there been times when you just want to do something for your kids, but they won't let you whine because they're on the outside. They're rebelling. They're disobedient. And what you want more than anything else is for that child to bring himself back in the circle of your love so you can just shower all that you have upon him. That's fellowship with God. It means, first of all, that we are partakers of his life. But in the second place, it means that we are partners in this life. Uh, the word uh, that is translated here, fellowship, many times is used in the New Testament as a partnership. You remember Paul in Philippians chapter 1 says that he thanks the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel, translated fellowship, but he means their partnership in the gospel. We are not only a partaker of God's life, we are a partner in God's life. What, was, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. By a partaker, I mean that God has imparted his life to me. By a partner, I mean that God wants to impart his life through me. Now listen to what the apostle says in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us. I like the way Phillips renders that. He says, we want you to be with us in this. There's a fellow who's found a good deal, and he wants his friends to get in on it, too. You know, I like friends like that. <laughs> Every once in a while, 
fellow come up and say, hey, I found the best place to buy a pair of shoes or to buy a ring or to buy this, and uh, they're selling it at 80% off, and listen, you, you've got to get in on it. And I like the way Phillips renders this. We want you to be with us in this. I tell you, th these people had found something. They had found that, that they could walk into the life of God. They found that they had the key to the treasure house of heaven. And they said, listen, we're telling you this because we want you to get in on this. You see, God had imparted his life to them, and now he was wanting to impart his life through them. And so they said, we're partners. We're partners. We want you to get in on this. This past year, we were in Switzerland, met a young girl over there. She was an uh, American citizen, had never lived in, an Amer in America. She had just been saved two or three months. And in the providence of God, uh, we brought her uh, back over here to the States. And I had the joy of baptizing her on Easter Sunday morning. But uh, she had been going to finishing schools in uh, Switzerland, graduated from or finished a school there in Eglon in Switzerland. And uh, one day, she discovered that one of her classmates from one of the finishing schools was in Dallas, in town. And she said, you know, I want to see her because now I'm a Christian, and I want to share it. I want to tell her. And so she went to visit this young girl, this uh, teenage girl that she'd been to school with, and she said, I've got the most Marvelous news to tell you. She said, I've become a Christian. And her friend, former classmate, said, oh, that's good. She said, I'm a Christian, too. I've been one for years. Jill came back to me, and she said, you know, I just can't believe that that girl is really a Christian. How could she know all of this and keep it to herself all those years? How could she be a Christian and not tell me about it, you see? She said, how can she be a Christian? I just can't believe that she's a Christian. We lived together. We roommated together. We went to school together. She knew all of this and didn't tell me how could she be a Christian and not tell somebody. I said, that's a staggering question, you see. He says, we want you to be with us in this. If I know this heavenly fellowship, it is a fellowship with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. That means I'm a partaker of his life and I'm a partner in that life. He imparts that life to me in order that he might impart that life through me. First of all, it's a heavenly fellowship. And uh, folks, y'all are going to have to listen faster than you're listening. <laughs> Number two, it is a human fellowship. It is a human fellowship. First of all, a heavenly fellowship. Secondly, it is a human fellowship. Verse 3 again. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. It is a human fellowship. That you may have fellowship with us. Now listen. In fellowship, we not only share the life of the Father, we also share the life of the family. When I was born of God, I was born into a family. When I was born of my father and mother, I was born into a family. That carried with it family privileges and family obligations. But I have a family responsibility, a family relationship. Now, the reason that he states this at this point is because there is the tendency 
there is a tendency upon many Christians to see only that vertical fellowship and to rejoice in their fellowship with God, but to minimize and sometimes even discount the fellowship we have with one another. And let me challenge you to go home tonight and read through the epistle of 1 John. It's just five chapters. It'll be a good exercise. And you make a note of how much he has to say about our fellowship, our relationship with other members of the family. For instance, he says, we know we pass from death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Now, it seems to me that it works this way. I have a vertical relation, fellowship with God, vertical fellowship with God. But there's also a horizontal fellowship with others. A horizontal fellowship with others. Now, the way I like to picture it, because that's the way it is, that vertical relationship with God is supported by that horizontal fellowship with others. And if this horizontal fellowship collapses, there's nothing to support the vertical fellowship. And what I'm saying is this, you can't have fellowship with God and be out of fellowship with your brother. There's just no way you can do it. Well, what is fellowship? It's sharing a common life. Friend, there is no way you can enjoy fellowship with God if you aren't sharing that life with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that has marred and hindered and come between your fellowship with another brother or sister in Jesus Christ, you put it down, at that moment you're out of fellowship with God. How can a man say he loves God whom he has not seen when he doesn't even love his brother whom he has seen? He has so much to say about, about loving and hating in this, in this little epistle. And he's talking about our fellow Christians. It is a human fellowship. A human fellowship. All right, let's move on. Number three, it is also a happy fellowship. A happy fellowship. Verse four, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. Now, that word full is a tremendous word. Uh, it is in a certain tense in the Greek language that indicates it is to be continually full. And the word itself means that which is complete. And so this is the way I like to read it. That your joy may be completely and continually full. That your joy may be complete. In other words, nothing else is needed. Nothing else is needed. If I am living and walking in fellowship with my Father, and if I am living and walking in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't need anything else to complete my joy. That joy is to be complete. And I tell you, I'm convinced that this is the point at which, revival, at which revival reveals itself. It's this, that I find in this fellowship all my joy. You say, oh, does that mean I'm not to enjoy other things? Oh, no, not at all. But what it means is that you can have as much joy without them as you have with them. If it takes anything else in addition 
to this fellowship with the Father and with the brothers and sisters in Christ to patch out and complete your joy. Friends, you're living below your privileges and obligations in the Christian life. And I believe that one thing that God is trying to do in my life and in your life is to wean us from all else besides until along with Jesus we're satisfied. Charles Wesley said it like this, Thy gifts alone cannot suffice unless thyself be given, for thy presence makes my paradise, and where you are is my heaven. You see, the whole purpose of God's dealing with us is to show us that we don't need anything else except Jesus to make us happy. This joy is to be continual also, not just complete, it's to be continual, to be continual. He says, does that mean I'm always to be laughing? No. I tell you, it's the most, I, folks, you just have to excuse me, I can't get over God. And I'm serious. I suppose I've done more crying and weeping, and you'll forgive me for referring to this, but this, I, have to tell, I have to talk to even where I am. And this is where I am in my life. I suppose I've done more weeping and crying in the last week than I've done in all my life together. But folks, I've never known such joy. I can't get over it. I just can't get over it. And uh, when we say that the joy is to be continual, it doesn't mean that we'd always be laughing, you know, and having, quote, what we call a good time, and man, isn't it fun being a Christian, and let's have, we're having a ball. Folks, I haven't been having much of a ball. I've never known such grief. I've never known such sorrow. I've never known such joy. I've never known such joy. I suppose I've been happier than I've ever been in my life. This past week, when our house was open and friends were coming, to just say a word, or not to say a word, but just to put a hand on the shoulder, there's been more joy in our home in the past week than has ever been before. I'm so glad that when tragedy struck, I was in fellowship. I was in fellowship. You see, it is to be a happy fellowship that your joy may be complete, didn't need anything else, didn't need anything else. I've been making some notes on all that's been going, God's been teaching me. You know what? I find that I need less and less to make me happy. I find that the Lord is cutting the ties of the world. I had a dear friend say to me two or three years ago, hold all things loosely. Keep a loose grip on everything. That's good advice. And you know what God has been showing me? I, I, I tell you every day, this world gets less alluring to me. Gets less alluring to me. We were driving, and just let me go ahead and say this. And uh, we were driving to the cemetery, and my dad was sitting next to me, and he was very broken, as we all were. And I said, Dad, you know... <clears throat> You remember back about nine years ago when Barry, that's our brother, went to Vietnam? I said, you know, I didn't even know where Vietnam was on the map. I hardly knew Vietnam existed. We found out he was going to be near Da Nang, and suddenly we took an interest in Vietnam, personal interest in Vietnam. I said, Dad, you remember how we used to 
hear on the radio or read in the newspaper about action going on or something happening around there. You remember how we'd get down the map, pinpoint and see how far away it was? I said, we had an interest over there. And so we began to get extremely interested in everything that happened. And I said, Dad, and my mother died a year ago, and I said, Dad, you know, we certainly are getting a lot of interest in heaven, aren't we? And suddenly I'm just taking a real interest in what goes on over there. You see, it is a complete joy. God is showing us that really all you need is him. He's sufficient. But it's a continual joy. It's a continual joy. And I just need to testify to you tonight that it is a joy that is abiding when your fellowship is abiding. It's to be a happy fellowship. Now, the last thing, we just say a word about it because this uh, is uh, what we may want to talk about later on. It is to be a holy fellowship. It is to be a holy fellowship. Look at verse 5. He says, This then is a message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now what verses 5 through 10 are saying is this, it's a holy fellowship. It's a holy fellowship. You cannot have fellowship with God. You can't even have fellowship with one another unless you're walking in the light. God is light. I said this morning that our conception of God determines our own life. It determines our character. If you have a low conception of God, you're going to be living a low life. He says, first of all, God is light. God is light. That means God is absolutely holy. There is perfect moral purity in God. God is light. All right, if I'm going to have fellowship with God, then I've got to stay where God is. Where is he? He's in the light. You can't be walking around over here in darkness and sin in the world and say, I have fellowship with God. Darkness can't have fellowship with light. God is light. He's holy. Therefore, you must also be holy if you're going to live in fellowship with him. And I tell you, sin does two things. It breaks our fellowship with God and breaks our fellowship with one another. I know people give all kinds of reasons why they don't come to church. There's only one reason. Men love darkness rather than light. They don't want to come to the light. And as we heard last night, because sometimes of an offended spirit, it breaks the fellowship, breaks the oneness of the family. We will not go in because we're offended. Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? I tell you, if your joy is not full and complete, and if the Father's not able to share with you all that he has, and if you find yourself uh, not wanting to share your life, and that's so important, sharing your life and the things that you have with others, it's because you're walking in darkness. You're walking in darkness. It is a holy fellowship. Now, this closing word. 
I, every time I think about all that God has and all that God wants to give me, I, I say to myself, well, that's a good deal. I mean, I tell you, folks, a fellow would be a fool not, not to get in on that. You mean to tell me that I can have God's life? You mean to tell me that God, I can live such a quality of life where the Father is sharing with me all that he has? You mean to tell me there's a quality of life uh, that is such that regardless of what happens to me, there can be complete and continual joy? Do you mean to tell me that? Yes. Man, be a fool not to want that kind of life. There is a condition. Holiness. 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 You cannot walk in fellowship with God unless you're walking in the light. And this means walking in two things. And let me just share this with you. It seems to me that to walk in the light, first of all, means that we walk in self-exposure to God's searchlight. You walk in the light, that means nothing's hidden, you see. You're in the light. You're not hiding anything. You're not keeping back anything. Let me ask this. Don't answer publicly. Just answer in your own heart. Are you tonight, as you sit here in this building, are you in the light? Or are you hiding in the darkness because there's some things in your life you don't want anybody to know about. Am I coming through? Do you understand what I'm saying? You cannot walk in fellowship with God if there is pretense, pretending to be something that you are not. First of all, walking a holy life, a holy walk, means that I walk in self-exposure to God's light. I am willing to expose myself to the searchlight of God's Spirit. Second thing, it means that I am willing to walk in self-examination. I'm willing to face myself. I'm willing to face myself. And to let God's searchlight expose to me all of the things that might be hindering that fellowship. And then I'm willing to examine my life in the light of God's Word. I think that's where revival starts. I really do. When we walk in the light. And let God's light, you see, let God's light expose to us the things that need to be exposed. And then instead of our just ignoring them or turning away from them or denying them, as he said some people do, we look at them and we examine them and then we confess them and he forgives us. And then we're walking that holy walk. Every believer has a relationship with God. But the extent to which you enjoy that relationship and the extent to which you derive the benefits of that relationship will be determined by your fellowship. And it seems to me, outside of getting that relationship straight, if you're not saved, the most important thing this week that can happen in your life is to make certain you get that fellowship straight. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit SherwoodBaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from his study Bible, please visit rondunn.com.